I can't believe that I forgot how the original Little Mermaid animated film ended. I mean, I guess I can. I probably haven't seen it in 30 years, but. Trash, bro. Yeah. Welcome to Podcast X, episode 35. We're back after a couple-week hiatus. Funny enough, we had actually seen the movie we're going to be talking about tonight, like a week and a half ago. Um, Well, Kofi and I had, and then Rob saw it opening night, and then like Rob wasn't feeling well. We had a bunch of things that came up, um, and so here we are, Thursday night recording um, on something that we could have talked about a week ago, but life happens, so you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, today we're going to be talking Fast X um, and kind of, you know, what we're hoping to see in the next two installments of the Fast and Furious franchise, as well as I saw The Little Mermaid. Neither of you guys saw this, right? No. I mean, the live action 2023 movie. Okay, well, I'll give a little, yeah, at the end of this bonus review of of that movie. So, um, but kind of kicking this off, I'd sort of be interested. We're, I'm going to let Rob go first because we've determined that Rob is probably the one of us that has the most enthusiasm for the Fast and Furious <laughs> franchise. You just made is, that up. Which is say, which is probably saying something. But, um, but yeah, I guess like when you guys, before each of you kind of weigh in on the movie, like maybe kind of talk about your history with the franchise and sort of like where you're at with it. Because I mean, we're 10 movies deep into this. There are few franchises in Hollywood that have this many movies. I mean, obviously Marvel and Star Wars and stuff like that. But outside of things like James Bond and a few other kind of big franchises, there aren't that many movies that like, you know, movie franchises that have posted this many movies in this short of amount of time. Um, and, you know, we still got two more, two more to go, plus the spinoffs and everything. So, yeah, I, I'm kind of curious how you guys are feeling at this stage of the game and if you were ever super on this train. Um, and we'll uh, we'll kind of go from there. But Rob, you know, as the biggest Fast and Furious fan <laughs> out of the three of us, what did you, how did you feel about Fast X and what's your sort of history with this franchise? <clears throat> okay, well, one, you just made that up. I don't know <laughs> if I am. Um, <laughs> but uh, I am glad you asked about our history with the franchise. Cause I do have a strong memory of the very first one. And man, this probably dates all of us, but I'll never forget. I was working at Tim Hortons when the first one came out and like a couple of employees came back for the, the next night shift after just having seen it. And so we were yeah. all hyped. They're telling us all about the street racing and all this crazy, that weird shot that uh, Vin Diesel always talks about where the camera or the, you know, the digital camera goes up. Like when he activates the nitro and he goes yes. through the valves of the car and up into, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, it's stuff that ha- at the time hadn't been, done in, in cinema and, and certainly like the street racing culture hadn't been explored in like a, you know, a blockbuster summer type film. Right. So it just looked cool. Uh, but that movie <laughs> is as different as the modern fast and furious movies as me, yeah. the little Tim Hortons Canadian boy is to me, old sick man <laughs> in a basement studio <laughs> recording a podcast right now is, you know, but yeah, um, yeah look, I, I have seen, I think every single movie, I have seen them all the film. I'm trying to think if I've seen them all in theater. 
I remember seeing Tokyo Drift at Home. Got that one from the library, believe it or not. And I remember yeah. loving that one after, like, surprisingly, even though it felt like it went to theater, but it felt like a straight to DVD style sequel. But boy, when I watched that, I was so wrong. Um, so I loved so much how they creatively weaved that into the canon, quote unquote canon, after the fact. Yeah. Um, but the second one was terrible. I remember seeing that in theater. I thought it killed it. And then, of course, like everyone, um, I gave four a shot. And to me, Fast Five is, is still the best the best film in the franchise and the most fun. So um, that's all to say is I'm glad Fast X kind of builds on that. It's a really interesting, uh, you know, all like the, <laughs> like every chapter is a retcon of something else. Like this is the best version of that, I think. Um, building yeah. a new villain, the franchise's best villain. Um out of the franchise's best film. It's kind of a good way to lay down some, uh, some footing for what will be like the, we presume the final trilogy, the ending of the saga. Right. So, um, but yeah, after fast five, for me, the franchise was downhill, you know, seven was worse than six, eight was the worst movie, the franchise nine came out during the pandemic. I saw it on an airplane, perfect airplane style movie. And the first time I watched it, I thought it was crap, but I rewatched it uh, last week before going to see, Fast X, and I appreciated it more because what Fast and Furious always does well, no matter the quality of the story and how ridiculous the action gets and how many characters pretend to die and come back later for whatever reason, um, the little family moments between your brothers or sisters, your loved ones, blood or not, like they always get to me. And at the end of Fast 9, when you see Jacob come back in that final really cool set piece with that armored truck thing uh, to help Dom out, Man, that gets to me. I love that shit. So uh, that always works. Um, And that mostly holds true here as well. But Fast X is a very different movie. Um, And we all know, look, the Fast and Furious franchise is is critic-proof. Like, it can be the worst writing, the most ridiculous action. The CGI can be as worse as can be. It doesn't matter. It's not what it's about. And and at this point, you know, we're 11 movies in. If if you're going to the theaters to see a Fast and Furious movie, you, you I hope you already bought in to how goofy it is and, and you you have to accept it uh to enjoy the ride, right? Yeah. No pun intended. Uh but I will say this one was a challenge to get into because the first act um well, a couple of reasons. One, this one introduces a few new characters. Um one being the main villain, Jason Momoa's Dante character. Uh, stems out of um, a familiar relation to a villain of Fast Five. And then you got Brie Larson's new character and Alan Richardson's uh, Richardson's new character. Um, All three of their introductions for me were very cringeworthy. Um, Dante kept yelling, that is awesome, in in front of a blue screen to the camera, and it just felt so inauthentic. Um, But as he got screen time and got to interact with all the characters and his crazy, uh, a lot of people make comparisons to being the Joker, right? Yeah. Um, in that sort of way. Uh, and you get to see his style and stuff like that. Um, you get to see him really act and have fun with the role. He becomes like crazy and immensely watchable and fun on film because he, he's posing a threat that these characters just have not seen or dealt with before, finally, right? Um, yeah. I cannot say the same for Brie Larson's character, uh, Nobody's Daughter, and, and then uh, the introduction to Alan Richardson. And I fucking love Alan Richardson in everything. Um, you should go watch Reacher on Amazon if you haven't. Great show. Uh, Richson, when he gets into the thick of it, becomes a more watchable character and does some twists there. But Brie Larson's character, the, the dialogue does not do her any favors. They just did not write the nobodies, the whole unit of characters very well in this film. Um, so they were kind of tough to watch. Um, and the other weird thing about this film uh, is that 
it struggles to deal with the stakes. And part of it, as you know, we can talk freely in spoilers, but like Gal Gadot's character comes back at the end, right after Han came back in the last movie, right after Michelle Rodriguez came back four movies prior or whatever. It's like, uh, I don't know <laughs> when I should actually feel worried for someone when they explode or get shot or are burning a lot. I don't, I don't know, right? But they take those very dangerous scenes and apply it to little Brian in this film. They throw a kid in the mix and this is where it gets different from all the previous films. They have little Brian doing stunt training, driving a car, Dom Tredo, you know, interesting uh, fathering there, but you know, he's got to get, get him in young. If you want to survive in this life, right? I get that, but there are some weird villain confrontations and car sequences and then explosions involving little Brian that <laughs> cut too deep for me. Uh, and you mix that with Jacob making a sacrifice play. You know what I mean? There's some weird things where it's like, I, I don't know how to feel about this. This is like throwing a lot of heat at this poor kid, but everyone who dies comes back. So, <laughs> you know, he's gonna, I don't know. Uh, but anyways, the bigger thing is like this film is not a complete film. It's, it's chapter one of something bigger. It was initially supposed to be part one of two. Now it's part one of three, according to Vin Diesel. And according to the end of this film, if you watch the post credit scene, um, and so none of these – the story splits off and leaves a bunch of cliffhangers as a result. Um, and if, if you feel like you're getting these very distinct stories or like stories are introduced halfway through like Jason C. Statham's character and then they're gone. It's like you'll see them next time sort of situation. So that part's weird because yeah. Fast and Furious has never done that. But I, at the same time, I'm excited to see that with Louis Terrier coming in you know, halfway through production or whatever, uh, that they have a plan, which these movies don't seem to have. They are, they're always trying to like create plans after the fact and retcon everything in this yeah. time for the first time ever, they are planning ahead in a big way beyond integrating story elements from Tokyo drift or whatever. Like, no, they are planning six hours of content and trying to fold in every single character from the franchise dead or not. Um, which is kind of exciting to see. And they're also bringing up the conversations about spinoffs during and potentially afterwards too, which is also exciting. So um, this movie, I think it's a must see, even though I don't think it's the best, you know, nowhere near the best in the franchise, but I I'm in it. Uh, I'm still in it. And I think the new characters work well enough that I, I want to see them back as well. So um, yeah. that's sort of a messy analysis of it, but it it's hard to kind of dig into this, but can I I'll say one more thing though. I mentioned Jason Statham coming back. That was a weird marketing play for the trailers, I think, because he's really not in this film much. No. They kind of pay off the tag of, of Fast 9, and he's got one scene, like one yeah. scene in his lair, and that's it. But nothing is more dumb in this movie than the Shaw family and how they're integrated. Because where in the fickety fuck is Luke Evans's Owen Shaw? They did not include him in the Shaw movie, he appeared very briefly as a hero and, and fat, for his aid or whatever. If he doesn't come back, or they're not planning to bring back my man Luke Evans for Fast and Furious 11 or 12, Universal should just cancel his franchise this weekend. I'm out. So I'll <laughs> leave it there. Uh, Kofi, you want to go next or you want me to go? I'm thinking about it. Um, as usual, I kind of agree with a lot of what Rob says, but uh, not his math work to get there necessarily. <laughs> like that's fair. It, I, I'm different on a, on a lot of stuff. Um, first of all, like we agree this movie's, I love the, how you said this movie's critic proof, but then you went down and gave like a long critic 
critique of it, which was hilarious. But <laughs> it, that's that aside. I, I do think it's critic proof. Like, I don't think this is a movie where we're, I mean, there is no story here. There is no characters in this left. Like there, if you're critiquing this movie on that, like I think you're barking up the wrong tree a little bit because there, there's none of that left there. What there is, is a checklist. Like we've gotten to the point where the fast and furious franchise is so meta that like, it's just a checklist. Now it's like, people come to these movies and they want to see it. It's like going for fucking Mac- McDonald's. You want a checklist of the same flavors you got. You don't want to fucking see Dom get any more development. You want to see Dom just stare at the camera with Vin Diesel looking like he's got a face. Like he doesn't know if he has to take a shit and just stand <laughs> and pose and flex his shoulders. And like, I did a whole bit of this on the hopefully award-winning comic book nation, like in a wife beater, just, pausing for the camera the whole show but uh yeah that's all you get from 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 this and like you want to see Tej and and roman you know crack jokes and try to hit on uh what's her name uh i forget her name in the movie natalie emmanuel on uh i forget why can't i remember her fucking name uh ramsey she doesn't matter that much ramsey yeah. like and you want to see them try to like fuck ramsey you want to see han eat shit and say cool <laughs> stuff while he hits in the background like you need to see Michelle Rodriguez and another girl go at it. Like you need to see, you know, Dom and some other alpha male go at it in cars. Like you need to see Dom, you become some kind of Marvel superhero in one moment. We get a Captain America moment in this one. Yeah. So like, these are just the checklist of things that need to happen in a fast and furious movie. We need to have the fucking cookout scene with some fucking Corona's and talk about family and all the hardships and how we're still together and all that shit. And as long as we do that. And so I just watched this and in many ways, I feel like, I mean, this is just straight rip of Avengers infinity war. This is all this is like, they saw Avengers infinity four and they were like, yeah, let's do that. And so like, that's what this is like. And so it's not, I mean, it's a villain driven movie. It's kind of a lot of it's from Dante's. I mean, we're, we're hanging out, we spend more scenes one-on-one with Dante in this than we do with like fucking Vin Diesel, which should tell you all you need to know. Um, yeah. The Dom Toretto character is just, it's gotten so absurd and just laughable at this point, like outdated, like James Bond. Well, I remember when we were talking about like Spectre and all those movies and being like, yeah, this is great. Except how like rapey James Bond is and like how weird that still is in a modern world. And this is just like, we were joking on comic book nation. Like uh, does Vin Diesel have a writer that every girl has to kind of, kind of sort of want to fuck Don Toretto, or at least be like confused about why her panties are so wet, because that's like what every scene with him is to the point where it's like uncomfortable. Like I don't need Helen Mirren's character, like rubbing his back. Like, don't worry, baby. If it all goes wrong, I'll still give you the ass. That was so, yeah, that was weird when she was like comforting him at that one point, like touching his back and shit. Like that was, I mean, not to jump in or whatever, but that was like an incredibly weird, like, well, yeah. And like Daniela Melanquire, whatever her name is from fucking, uh, suicide squad who plays in this one. Spoilers. He play, uh, plays, um, Elsa Pataki's Elena's sister. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a whole scene where Dom with Dom and her in apartment where they look like they had to probably fill refill it and like reblock it where they just put him in like a corner of the apartment away from yeah, her. Yeah. Because if they were in the same physical space, I was like, they're about to fuck. Like, <laughs> what is what is happening? Here? Like this movie's already weird because the premise of it 
is you putting your love of your life in danger, protecting your ex side chick's son, your your baby mama's son. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the family dynamics of this are already kind of gotten real murky. Plus, just the what fucking race are the Toretto's? Like, is already a real murky question. Like, it's all gotten so fucking murky that like there is no story left. So we just have the checklist. And this movie nails the checklist, plus throws in the best villain of the franchise. So I think we did a ranking on the show. And I think, first of all, I will not stand for too fast, too furious slander. That's the only reason this motherfucking franchise is a franchise, too fast, too furious. <laughs> this could have been over in one movie. But, uh, you know, they the mistake they made in that movie was refocus, thinking that Paul Walker was going to carry this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And it was going to be about a cop going to different street racing places. That was stupid. <laughs> that was stupid. It was always about Dom Toretto and family and Paul Walker wanting to be down and fuck a criminal sister and do all that shit. So, like... It was good they got back to that. Now, I also saw, I've seen every single one of them in theaters, except I've seen every single one in theaters on opening weekend, except Tokyo Drift as well, which ironically I did find in like a bargain bin DVD thing. It was like, I'll <laughs> pop this in and watch it. And also loved it because I love Justin Lin. That's the only reason I put it in. I didn't know when it came out during all the marketing. I was like, yeah, this is stupid. I'm not going to see this. It has a little bow wow in it. And like, I didn't know at the time. But I had started kind of an indie movie collection, and one of my first DVD purchases was Better Luck Tomorrow, which was Justin Lin's like breakout movie, mm. where it was about him and a bunch of, and it were not him, but a bunch, a group of Asian kids who live in the suburbs getting bored and like going the gangster life for a while until shit gets too serious. Yeah. Which phenomenal movie! You should check that out. Uh, Soon Kang is in that. Um, the guy who played Han, that's like where Justin Lin hooked up with a lot of those. A lot of those actors are now famous, still famous and working, but a uh, great film. One of my first David DVDs. So when I found out it was him, I was like, yeah, I'm going to fucking put this in. Like, I gotta, I gotta check this out now. And so I did. And I was so happy that I did. Yeah. Jason Tobin, who's in like fate of the furious is one of the guys breaking, uh, building the rocket is also he was in better luck tomorrow a bunch of other people but um yeah man it, it was just so tokyo drift i was surprised about the rest i saw i've seen in opening weekend in theaters um my i'm like rob but uh i think and i'm from the new age man and it's and it's having a prequel style comeback but people are really realizing fast and furious 6 was really good man like fast and furious 6 was really good I don't think it was downhill from there. I think seven was the start, and Paul Walker's death was the start yeah. of the downhill. I, I think you're right. Wait, wait, wait. Is six the one? Is that the Owen Shaw? It's the one? evil twin team. Yeah, that's the even. Uh, that's the yeah. That's, that's the, the, that's back, the evil right? twin team. Yep. Yeah. And she's she's with the, the other uh, yeah. No, that's a good one. You're right. You're right. I just forget which was which. There's so many, but yeah, you're right. Dude, those have all the scenes of them like going fucking. What is it said in Trader's Ludicrous? He's like, this is vehicular mayhem or some shit. <laughs> like, yeah, when they were just battling and like putting the knocking the trackers off each other's cars and shit. And Owen Shaw meets Dom, and they both have snipers. That shit is fucking tight. yeah. That's good. The runway that never ends. What? That's where Gal does. Yeah, yeah. I drive a runway. Like um, now I drive down a tarmac. I'm like, this shit never ends, baby. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, six was good, man. I liked six. That six was the one that made me believe the super spy shit could actually work out. And then seven is just like, 
Yeah. But, yo, dude. Seven guys. Right, but I still, think, I still think five is the peak, right? It's, oh, no. Five is the best. That's how I rank them. Fast five is the best. Then six, then, then seven. But after six. six, it drops off hard. And I, I think no. eight's extremely bad. Then, then number one. Then number one for me. Uh, then this one, Fast X for me. I think Fast X is my fourth favorite one. Uh, then Tokyo Drift. Yeah. And then then it gets gets then you're just in the lower half after yeah, yeah. that. That's fair. But um and yeah, it's just a mess. I think I think nine is the worst one for me though. I think I ranked it last. Because I've tried to watch nine twice and I've I've first of all, that shit's like three hours. Yeah. And when I watched it the second time, my brain went so to sleep the first time that I was in the movie theater because I had to review it and I watched it. And I literally fell asleep for an hour straight out of that three hour movie. And I woke back up and I did not notice. And so like, I was like, Oh man, I told myself, I was like, Oh shit. I got to like, I was like, I almost, I almost nodded off there. I got to be careful. And like, I thought I was just, I had avoided it. Then I rewatched the movie like recently. And I was just like, Holy shit. I missed an entire fucking hour of this. Like an entire hour of this movie, I had no idea I had missed. And the thing was, it didn't fucking matter that I did. Yeah. That's all I got to say about F9. So, like, yeah, I mean, that was just stupid. Like, when they're going to space and Dom's swinging a car like Tarzan, like, I was just like, come on, man, this is getting nuts. I was already saying, like, all right, this yeah. is getting a little nuts. And F, Fate of the Furious, when their remote control spilling cars out of, like, New York City and fucking rock is tossing submarine torpedoes and shit like that but um yeah this so <laughs> let's just that's all to set up to say that louis leterrier is a company man's director like he's good he brings it in and his shit may not ever be like david leach chad stahelski wonderful but it's always competent you can always see what the fuck is happening in an action scene. And his movies are ridiculously rewatchable. Like I can watch incredible Hulk and the other shit he's done like a million times because it, it's just good B movie. He's just a good B movie director. Like, and he's, like I said, he's competent. Now you see me clash of the Titans, all that shit. Like I can just watch those when they come on, you know what I mean? Dark crystal even, which is a weird thing that he did. I don't care. still can't believe he did that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like it, it. It's just good, immensely rewatchable B movie stuff, and that's what this is. And like, like Rob said, I actually thought the beginning was one of the stronger beginnings because early on, that scene where Jason Momoa—I think Jason Momoa has one of the best character debuts in a big blockbuster movie. I don't count the prologue with all the yeah. recut footage from Fast Five, where they basically were like, "Hey, remember Fast really Five? Cool. Yeah, and how much you love that fucking movie? Here's the best parts of it." Again, but you didn't know. Yeah, but you didn't know. Yeah, like retcon. I mean, the technically impressive, very nice, like yeah. good. Like, yeah, we jerked ourselves off. Good <laughs> job. But I mean, the real debut of Dante is when he comes and Cipher tells that story in the beginning about like what happened when he came to her shop, and that is by far for me one of the best scenes. Period in any Fast and Furious movie when he comes to her shop and just completely turns the tables on everybody and really establishes like how fucked up he is yeah. as a character and how Joker esque he is when he just kind of saunters in in like the most ridiculous flamboyant outfit. He's just like peacock in the whole way. And then he just confidently like just walks in dragon bodies and he's just like, all right, well 
this is what we're going to do. And she's just like, what? Like, yeah. he's like, Oh, or your kid or your brother or your husband or blah, blah, blah. And everybody just like turns their guns on her. Yeah. And by the way, Charlize Theron is just, uh, they got to give her more to do in these movies. Cause she is fucking, she can carry this shit. Like when she's on screen, shit is awesome. Like, and they give her their best hairstyle yet in this one. So good, good for Cypher yeah. for having a stylist come up. But, uh, yeah, that scene with Dante, the introduction scene is like pretty dope. Like, I like that. I can't believe they put in the scene and I can't believe the president of Universal, she fought for it to put it in. It was like, no, nah, you got to put that shit in when he's talking to the corpses and having like yeah. the pedicure yeah. party. Oh my God. I was just like, what movie am I seeing? That was like, I mean, that's a big <laughs> part of why people are doing the Joker comparisons too. Cause it was just like, that's some shit out of like a comic book with them, with their eyes taped open and, you know, he's been like fucking with their faces and stuff like that. But I love that scene. I was, yeah. I was talking to someone and they were like, I don't really understand why that scene exists. And I was like, well, they needed him to be doing like something while they show him steal the money. Right. Like we have to see him steal the money. And so they were kind of like, what do we, like, how do we show that he stole the money? And it's like, let's just give him something weird to do. And it kind of actually works. I don't even remember that that's what it was. I couldn't, when I had to write up that article, I couldn't for the life of me remember what the context yeah. of that scene was because it's hard to remember what con- what any continuity of this movie is at all. Yeah. Um, so, but, yeah, I mean, you're right. But, um, yeah, so Fast X itself, like, it was just... Like I said, Louis Leterrier, he's just a company man. And what he does is Justin Lin just started letting himself get pulled out there in greater and greater shit. But that guy always was trying to go too far out there. I mean, that G.I. Joe movie with all the fucking ninjas on the oh cliff and God, shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, that all got way too out there. And he, oh, Justin Lin, weirdly, for all the shit that Jack's, that or Jack, Zack Snyder gets, like, he, Justin Lin does not know sometimes when to rein it in. Yeah. And kind of like he he kind of goes even more than Bay because at least Bay's con Bay is like at least governed neurotically so by the concept of like making shit explainable in slightly real world ways. Yeah. Like even a transformer transforming, he's so neurotic about that shit. Justin Lin just doesn't even isn't bound by the laws of reality by all by at all. Like yeah. I mean, you know, we just we gave you a rundown <laughs> of car stunts that this guy has done that are just absurd whether it's in six i mean six also has the superhero jump right where he catches letty oh yeah, God. yeah on the yeah, highway like, yeah. between the cars or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> right yeah yeah man like justin lynn's nuts but louis leterrier what i liked about this film and it was refreshing was he was a perfect balance of being like okay i'm gonna do some out there shit with what you can do with street racing and street battles and stuff, but I'm not going to ever go too far that it's like so absurd. Like everything that happens in this movie is that perfect sweet spot of too great for reality, but not too great to be like so unbelievable. Like he dropped that kind of thing. Fast and furious was kind of starting to do where every movie they were thinking like, we got to do something so absurd that it's, and we know that it's stupid and silly, but you know, this is what they expect from us. So yeah, fuck yeah. We're going into space, like all that shit. And like, Louis Terry is just like, no, no, <laughs> no. And so like, he just kind of literally grounds it. And so like the action is back in a place where we can actually 
enjoy. And like I said, he's a B-movie director that's very competent. So there's nothing that reinvents the wheel, no pun. The Rome scene is just like fucking Mission Impossible or Black Widow, yeah, right? Yeah. The fucking, um, was I just thinking? Oh, shit. I had it and I just lost it. Oh, the bridge scene is just like they, they straight up steal the bridge scene from Mission Impossible 3. Yeah. Um, that whole shootout on the bridge sequence. Like that's fucking straight Mission Impossible 3. Down to the villain being like, now I've got the thing I need and your family's yeah. fucked. You better get there. Like, you know, it, so there's so much of it that's just derivative, but still presented in a cool way with the cool like characters we like and doing the cool shit. And like, you know, once you start thinking about it, any of it, this whole thing falls apart like a house of cards. Yeah. Jacob putting little Brian in a car with a bunch of fucking live ammunition is stupid. You yeah. know, like you, you, that's dumb even for an uncle. So you don't want to think about this too much, but because they nail the checklist of things and I saw it in the theater with a mix of like us critics and, you know, it's universal <coughs> who infamously like packs their screenings with regular people. And so I saw it with a bunch of regular people and they loved it because they, every time it hit the checklist and I, and I had some talkers behind me. So like I got the four one 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 about <laughs> what it. What these all. guys so think about it. Yeah. I, I, I was sitting there like, yep, they were very, it was like a focus group, you know, it was like, okay, they were very entertained by like this joke that Teach just said, or when Roman whips out the money, he secretly has strapped to him. Like everybody is fucking loving that. So yeah. they did all the checklist shit, plus an awesome villain, plus some more grounded scenes that don't make you roll your eyes as much. And so that all come, kind of combines to a really good Fast and Furious movie. Um, I think this is better than eight, nine, and seven by by a, a good margin, um, but not better than six, five, or like four was all right. I, mean, I think it's better than four, but not better than the height of the franchise, which would be like six, five in the, or five, six in the original one. Yeah. So I think we're, and then for your 10th movie, we're still doing pretty good. Okay. That's, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, and fuck critics. Critics can't say shit anymore. So what? <laughs> so what? We're still going to watch this shit. The, yeah. I mean, my press screening of this was packed and like a lot of them, I mean, you know, they are sometimes, but like, I mean, these were people like everybody was lining up. They were getting popcorn. They were in a jovial mood. I mean, it wasn't just like, Hey, you want to go see a free movie? It's like people had like camped out and stuff to like see this one, you know, cause it's just like, there's a crowd that is like very, very loyal to these films and just like loves them a little bit. So like they definitely, <clears throat> you know, and that, that is sort of like shown via like how well the film has done the past week at the box office and everything too. It's like people just turn up for this stuff, but I actually didn't see the last one in theaters. Um, but I, Same. I would, I kind of agree with like, the general kind of consensus on your guys's ranking of these things. I think the first one is still like a really, really great, just sort of interesting, you know, drama movie that, that, Ooh, wait, just not to interrupt, but that you said something that I was just checking the box office. I haven't been keeping up. This thing didn't even break a hundred million yet. I thought I got th I thought it had like 300 million worldwide though. Right. Worldwide, but domestically it is as of yesterday, 82 million. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't, I guess it doesn't necessarily surprise me. Just, I mean, box office, like, what was weekend box office for? No, this is, 
Fast and Furious is always weaker domestic than it is worldwide. Yeah, worldwide sure. is where this movie lives. And as we were saying back 10 years ago, it's because they cracked the code. I think it was weirdly Anthony Ocasio, who was like the early savant about what these movies were doing. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, just making that international cast of like colored people yep. and different kinds of people all together. Like, yeah, these movies still are killing it overseas. Sorry, I just was. No, yeah, I mean it's it is. I had thought it did numbers. when I I had seen the th- over three hundred million number, and I knew it was you know like international total or like global total. But I I didn't realize it only made eighty two million at home though. I would have surprised. Like I would have expected about like a hundred or something. Let's talk about Zencaster. Rob, what is Zencaster? Oh, that's a great question, Ben. Zencaster, which we use to record Podcast X currently exclusively in audio form, is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides, as you know from listening, high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio quality content all from one dashboard in your browser. Being a creator like us has never been easier. Zencaster lets you do everything you need to podcast from recording to publishing all in one place. That all is very exciting, Rob. So Zencaster, if you want to sound your best, Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. A frequent problem that we run into is when we come onto this podcast to record, my levels are usually all messed up. With Zencaster, we're able to adjust loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a single click of the button. Back when we were recording the Screen Man Underground podcast, this was like a seven-step process for us. While Podcast X currently only has two hosts and one rotating chair as a special guest, Zencaster lets you record up to 11 participants. Think of it. All of Ben's girlfriends in one place coordinating all of these guests, 11 participants at once, has never been easier. Just one click. I will say, though, as the person who has to edit this podcast and cut everything together, my favorite part and the thing that saves our ass time and time again is that it's a cloud backup system. So while you're recording, it records backups to the cloud as well as locally, which if you know from listening to the podcast, Kofi unplugs his mic. We've had some issues in the past with Zencaster. Not a problem. To try this yourself, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use the code PODCASTX and you'll get 30% off your first three months with Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experiences we do for all of our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. That's Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use the code PODCASTX. Like I have sort of a mixed track record with these things because I was never like a car guy or like a racing guy or anything. So like I appreciated the first one for what it was when it came out, just because it was it was kind of a cool like family story and um, you know just general kind of drama that had this sort of interesting like speed angle to it with them like you know pulling off these heists and stuff. But I I don't know that I I don't know that I've even like seen I've seen the second one like once or twice. I don't think I've seen that one as much as I probably should have based on your your sort of glowing re- recollection of it. But um, 
I like Tokyo Drift and like four was like whatever, but five like got me so excited. I mean, it was when like I was writing for the site, you know, like kind of when we were in the middle of like building this thing and that, you know, that safe scene is one of just like the coolest scenes I've ever seen in an action movie. It was just so creative and it was so fun and it felt so fresh and it felt like such a kind of like we're getting away from the street racing stuff and really getting into like, these guys are just like superheroes with cars. They're the best people with cars. They can do the craziest shit with cars. And that was really fun. And I think I'm kind of on the same trajectory as you, Rob, like six, like, you know, it was good. I think it, I think it was, you know, it was a, it was kind of like the franchise still had momentum at that point. And then when, just like you said, when Paul Walker, we lose Paul Walker, like seven, eight, it's just kind of downhill. And this, movie kind of lands somewhere for me similar probably to where Kofi is because it pulls so much from fast X. And that was, you know, probably the movie that if you like asked me to go rewatch one of these films, that would be the one that I would be most tempted to go, you know, spend time with. So I think I was already just like in the bag for this one a little bit because of those tethers and as sort of, you know, bullshit as it is to, replay the best scene of fast X or fast five. I mean, again, you know, at the beginning of this movie, just to get people hyped, it's like, I mean, I did have fun watching that again, you know, and like that, those tethers and kind of the way they tried to weave Momoa in. And then, you know, Richardson is sort of woven in later and everything. I guess I buy that. And I think it, I think it, you know, it sort of works in terms of setting up, a villain that we've needed in this franchise for a while, because basically every other franchise villain becomes a hero in this franchise for the most part, they either die or they become a hero. And, you know, Momoa doesn't feel like a character that can come back and be like a hero. It feels like the next movie is him assembling probably a bunch of the other villains that may or may not be dead or something to kind of like, you know, Avengers infinity war Avengers Endgame, this kind of thing. Um, I'm still kind of curious who the father of the person in the previous movie, I forget what that character's name was, but that like the guy who like double crosses John Cena in the last one, like, there's mentions of his rich father and shit. And I know they like, were talking oh, yeah. about like Robert Downey Jr. Coming in for the next one and being a villain. So it feels like Momoa is probably going to team up with like everybody that like these, you know, the, our heroes have like hurt in the past or something. And that that's sort of what we're building towards is like, this huge sort of battle between all these people who like have lost people because of all this shit that's happened. So I'm a little bit curious kind of like where all that's headed. I I do find myself like when you're talking about the checklist, I do find myself like checking out for certain items on that checklist now. And you know, the shots of like Vin Diesel's, you know, muscles glistening in the sun as he's like picking someone up in slow motion and stuff. It's like, you know, like he's so up his own ass in these movies that it's like, it's got like, it's almost kind of funny, but this movie does it like three or four times. And like, I feel like, you know, well, we already checked that box once. Like I don't need to see it a, a second or third time. Well, it's sad and hilarious because you can tell at the same time, like you said, like he's up his own ass, but nobody, he's a kid on the playground still like delusional because <laughs> yeah. nobody else wants to play with him anymore. Right. Like most of this movie, just like the last couple are like Vin Diesel off by himself. Yeah. Finding excuses why Dom has to be like, yeah, by himself. 100%. And while the other crews are like doing shit in ensembles yeah the people that want to spend time together yeah yeah it's as hilarious as like still coming up with excuses for like 
<laughs> I think my favorite thing about this movie are all the memes and stuff people are creating about like what Brian's doing while he's seeing all this <laughs> shit go down. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. They really fucking wrote themselves in like, the corner with that thing for sure. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, Brian gets to call Mia. Like, they're coming for little Brian. He's like, oh, shit. Starts an episode of his succession. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, when Mia's the one that's like, you know, taking care of the John Cena has to show up to like rescue them and stuff, it's like, there's just such this like gaping, like, open wound and hole of like a character that should be there, you know, with the family. And, so, and it, obviously, we know why he's not there and stuff, but. But they kind of wrote themselves into that corner by like making it seem like he retired, knowing that they were going to do another one of these, like five of these movies by that point, right? I mean, they didn't think they were done at that point. So they created that weird ass problem for themselves. But, but I mean, you know, there's a lot that I like. I still love like watching all the characters interact, even when they're doing just like ridiculous shit. Like the, you know, like the ludicrous stuff is like funny with, with Tyrese and everything. And, like the three of them kind of together is we need just fun. Cole Hauser back. Yeah. Cole Hauser <laughs> can save this franchise. Yeah. 100%. Vin Diesel has never been as good as when he's on screen with Cole Hauser. And that's a fact. <laughs> why do you, why'd you say that? Because it's true. I, I just, because people don't, because the listeners listen to me, you may not understand what I say, but I'm a futurist like Tony Stark. You'll get it. And Rob, you already agree with that. When was the last time Vin Diesel was on screen with with Cole Hauser that you can think of? Uh, <laughs> like, like, is it uh, like Pitch Black? Pitch Black, <laughs> yeah. baby. Yeah. yeah, he's Johns. Yeah, like when he's he's the uh, first. Johns. I do love that franchise. Yeah, because uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I rewatched an entire franchise. The second one is so weird. It was such a misstep. Yeah. But the third one, they were like, "Let's get back to what makes this awesome." Yeah, third Rick's dope. Yeah. I love that one. Katie Sackoff, Dave Batista. Oh, yeah, yep. fucking. That's the yeah, one with that fucking map that Dice always references. Like, do you remember that? He would always talk about that. Of on course, podcast. So I, like, I love that shit. It doesn't. Yeah. He has to hit the thing because it's not yeah, working. It doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, because yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. No, because they. No, that's a great thing about the movie. They have like their tech is all like Fucked realistic. It's shit, like yeah. it fucks up all the time yeah. yeah and how he just fucks with like the thing that's supposed to be like tracking him in the distance and how he makes that sensor go like all yeah. fucked up yeah man riddick is a good movie yeah for sure like, uh, i want to see i want to see more richard b riddick i want to see vin diesel act again like in pitch black he was like he was actually working he was good he was like charismatic he was funny yeah that's the thing is like this i mean this movie that uh, so i was talking to a i was talking to a, it may have been the person i went and saw the movie with like I just feel like this one, it's almost like a, they've all been kind of like soap operas to some extent, but this one, you were talking about the, you know, the new characters like Brie Larson and, you know, like Richardson and um, Momoa. It's like, especially with like Richardson and uh, Larson's characters, it's like, they're just these like, it's just like they give them these like little vignettes where they sort of show up somewhere and like, you know, Vin Diesel's sitting at the bar and she's talking shit to all these people, like getting the beers. And then she comes over and they have a two minute conversation. And like, we're supposed to kind of give a shit about it. You know, like there's a lot of this like really choppy, like character drama. And I know these movies are not because she wants to fuck dumb too, <laughs> buddy. And we're rooting that for that because we're dumb. <clears throat> yeah, Dom is all of us. But it, it's just like, it's, I don't know. I mean, that stuff, there was a time where this franchise 
at least kind of attempted for that those character interactions to be like meaningful and now it's just like dude uh, look, I I, I, <laughs> I I can't fucking handle the. Uh, I'll give you a good example of this. The Roman and Tej stuff, like that shit, could not be worse. Like they even had them fist fighting and doing drugs in this one. Like this is how. Like oh, oh you want to sum up this whole fucking franchise and the story and writing? And Kofi already said it, but the best example of this is the the movie opens up. And Vin's pretending to be retired, right? Dom yeah. and Letty, they're they're gonna do the Brian Mia thing, right? Oh, by the way, speaking of Mia, how that she keeps coming back, they had her go to Tokyo in F9. Do you guys remember that to find Han? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What what is Brian doing? It's like it's it's from a writing <laughs> standpoint, it's so challenging. And and of course, when they have their uh, Corona and, and summer cookout, you know, that you see like the skyline GTR like drive up at the end and I wonder how, if they're going to try to have a cameo using his brother, like like they did to yeah. end F F seven at the end of this all. You know what I mean? I think I feel like they're going to push for that. I know his family wants it, but anyways, I'm pretty sure all these movies, like what we've been waiting for, and all the budget is going to is to bring back Paul Walker for like <laughs> one. Yeah, so I, that's what I think. That's what I think. I, last sequence. I think like a car is going to come speeding in. And it's going to be him on the fucking mic, and it's going to be totally one of his bro- or both of his brothers, like filling it in. And you know, yeah, we're doing that. Yeah, Fast Eleven is. Uh, we got to talk about this later. Is the Rock movie, and Fast Twelve is Brian O'Connor's movie, right? <laughs> to bring him back, um, man, that's challenging. But look, look, the beginning of this movie, though, like I said, Letty and Dom are retiring, taking care of little B, and so of all people, Roman's in charge of this mission. Going to Rome. Speaking of the international flair of this of the franchise now, yeah. um, and then he's got this mission from his own sources. Okay, someone's got to explain that to me sometime. But then he's like, "No, no, it's it's good because Tej he, he vetted it. He vetted the sources, right?" Okay, cut to it's a fake ass mission set up by Momoa, of course. And then when they, you see uh, Scott Eastwood's character come back, little nobody. And then uh, Dom's like, yo, yo, Tesh said he vetted it through you. He's like, no, no, I didn't talk to Tesh. <laughs> That's not real. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> what the fuck? What do you yeah. mean you vetted the mission? You didn't talk to the one guy who still works for nobody? Oh, man, it's hilarious. So that that sums it up. They didn't even write around <laughs> the setup of the yeah. film. But, that's the uh, that's the thing. Like the the thing that really stood out. To, I mean, so that Larson scene in the bar really stood out to me because it was kind of like, you know, like I said, she just sort of walks in. We're supposed to think she's badass. We get you know, we get this sort of interaction between the two of them and it sends her off on this other mission. But the other thing I thought of is like, you know, John Cena comes in, like, like rescues the kid. Then they go on this like weird road trip are on a plane, you know, with Paul Walker's daughter as in cameo there. And then like, you know, it's all like fun to watch, but then they, this is all in service of them getting to this like super secret hideout of his, and then because like Momoa has the God's eye within like 15 fucking minutes of them getting there, like they have to leave that place. Like I get, I understand the God's eye and I understand like they weren't expecting that, but from a storytelling perspective, like that was a lot of time to like get them to a place that they weren't actually going to do anything with. So it's like all they wanted to do was they wanted to have all these different scenes with like the kid and John Cena. Of course. And but some like some of those are fun, and then some of them were kind of like not worth all of that fucking hassle. The the airplane stuff is the weird part. They put a lot of effort into having this little private drone thing he's flying. Yeah. The 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 real set the motivator there is to get him to his little custom tank, his crazy car. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. The the quad cannon. 
fucking articulated <laughs> cannons or whatever. That's, which yeah. is hilarious. That's such a perfect Fast and Furious vehicle because he could literally rocket jump across the highway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's a good – at least that part's kind of fun. Is there any universe where he is actually dead? No, no, no. Ask it the other way. Is there any way he's like not dead? Like I don't understand. I don't understand the question. Like how, how he? Of course he survived that. Wait, who? Cena? Yeah. How could he possibly die there, Ben? I think Cena. I think Cena's no. dead. What are you talking about? I mean, obviously the other ones on the plane off screen are surviving. Because I mean, why, why would know, Jacob die from that? Nick Fury shit. It did seem because the only know, reason that you could possibly think he actually dies is because he like kisses his cross and they sell it like a sacrifice move. But like, yeah, it's a sacrifice play. Yeah. It'd be weird if it's not all of a sudden. Wait, 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 no, 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 hang on. Gal Gadot died from the sacrifice play. She did said she her was... goodbyes to Han and jumped off and shot. Yeah, I guess that's true, guys. I, no, no, but this, she didn't kiss her. She didn't kiss her cross, though. I mean, that's well. Like she a was holding onto a plane wing, Ben. The, but <laughs> look at what Ben. The, the, look at what uh, what Jacob did, though. But again, this is everybody who dies off screen is not dead. Everybody who dies, like, and when we see them die, I think they're Han yeah, died the same way in a burning car upside Vince, down. Otherwise, Vince was gonna be, be back. But we didn't see him blow up. We just saw him like scrambling to get out and then being like, oh, I mean, I think Jacob's dead. Look, because I think you killed my brother is like the fuel that they're going to use. And people were asking too many questions about why is there a white one? And like, <laughs> you know, they had to get rid of that. No, 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 no. You, you can't you can't not have that part. That whole family, like the Toretto is not meat. The whole Hobbs family and not meet the whole Shaw family. Come on, it's too much. You're not gonna have Cena and The Rock on screen together at some point. There's no way. Also, a, do, I don't know. This is Fast and Furious gravity rules or health rules, right? He, he exploded in a car and, and is on fiery debris. That's nothing. That's nothing. That's a band aid. So he is 100. percent He's coming back. I. Like I kind of am in the camp of like he is coming back, but it's kind of ridiculous at the same time because like I do feel like they sold that one like like who gives a fuck if Gal Gadot dies at the end of that movie in a sacrifice play? But I mean they built this up as like this guy is like literal family to them and like but I don't know. I mean we'll see. I'm gonna be kind of disappointed though because he was like actually one of the better parts of this movie. You I can't, thought. Yeah, you, you bring him in nine, episode. kill him in one movie later. No way. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. But I, I also could see what Kofi's saying. Though. I mean, they're from a storytelling standpoint, like they play they play that in a way that kind of felt a little bit different than some of the other ones, and it's going to be a bit of a cop out if they. If they Didn't Michelle Rodriguez get like shot in the head? <laughs> like she's like this is like <laughs> this is nothing, man. He exploded in a car. I don't understand. Yeah. That's like that's like that is such a minor walking, you know, doctor yeah. checkup type situation here. So yeah, um, for Fast and Furious standards. But, uh, you know, I do think, though, for reals, though, like from a business standpoint, if this idea that Fast X is becoming a trilogy now, which seem seems like very like recent yeah. in terms of discussions between Universal and uh, Vin Diesel, then I very much think part of that 12 is like bringing everybody back, right? So that, yeah. that's where now you could open the doors to bring back Cena. So, yeah, you know, the um, what do you guys think about <laughs> what do you guys think about The Rock coming back? 
I mean, like, obviously, I'm, I'm like, excited for it just because, like, he, I think in this franchise. He wasn't thinking that was going to happen when the hierarchy <laughs> of power was going to change. <laughs> then that shit didn't change. Yeah. And now you need a paycheck. He got two little girls. Yeah. And he, at least he's man enough to suck up that pride, you know? I thought that was, I thought yeah, that I was, don't, uh, I don't the know, timing um, of that was all hilarious for sure. I don't know how lucrative the XFL is for him right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a. Also, I don't know if Netflix really loved their investment in Red Notice. You know, yeah. uh, two hundred million, then twenty five million dollar paychecks for those stars. I don't know. So, I, yeah. I, I think uh, with Warner Brothers not wanting a piece of that pie, and Netflix, you know, who knows what they think now? But uh, I think it's awesome that he's back um, because he's such a fun character on screen in that franchise. Even though in Fast and Furious Eight, he was never actually on set with Vin Diesel for any of those scenes. That's yeah. why I hate that movie so much. Um, I do think him coming back, if they can make that work, that's really cool. And I, I like Hobbs and Shaw as well. I want to see more of that. So yeah. Um, so is good the on- next one, I'm curious, like, do you think the next one is going to be like a lot of this shit from like the rocks perspective, like the yeah. rock having to deal with. So then like and Shaw. Okay. So are we going to get an answer to the cliffhanger that occurs at the end of this movie, like at the beginning of the next movie, or is it going to be like that one's going to, it's going to be like late in that movie or something that we get a response to that. Um, I think be weaved in. I think because it's a main saga film, they'll have to continue some yeah. elements. Yeah, no, they're not going to like pause it till 12. That'd be insane. Yeah. They're going to do what happens at this film. Then they're going to like, probably like dovetail into what Hobbs story is and how Hobbs brings back a whole bunch of people or fucking is working with Giselle yeah. or whatever the fuck has been going on. And like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of shit. Yeah. They introduced in Hobbs and Shaw that they can bring back. There's still like a whole cabal of people out there, you know, like yeah, there's a whole lot of shit going on. There. Yeah. By 12, it's fucking Avengers Endgame, Like I said, yeah, like they're just riffing off those movies. And so like, yeah, everybody's going to be back. Everybody's alive. We're going to have, you know, Bow Wow, Lucas Black, who's really, you know, quite a character. Don't go don't go near his Twitter if you want to <laughs> oh, really? watch Tokyo Drift. Oh, buddy. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh man. Man, he is a very serious parent, a very serious religious man. And he has very serious thoughts about what schools are doing and why home is good. And yeah, it, it's mm. it's really it's intense. He's like Kirk Cameron ish times, oh, like no. a little bit. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Explains a lot about his career. So yeah. anyway. Um. Yeah. So they're gonna bring everybody back though, and there'll be like one big race. And I hope I want everybody back. I want them to get ignorant with it. I hope Devin Aoki comes back from Too Fast, Too Furious. Like I hope Cole Hauser comes back. Eva Mendes, bring her back. Bring every bring everybody back. I was kinda surprised, like you know who's the fucking the guy who's behind all of it? The fucking scrawny kid from the first movie you think is not dead. (laughs) Oh the tech nerd from the first movie? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's really fucking funny. Fucking rings because they left him for dead. Oh, they got to bring back the asshole from the first movie who died in five. After he made amends, oh, the guy who hated yeah. Brian O'Connor so much, Vince. Vince, yeah, yeah, yeah he's not dead. There's no oh, way, Vince. Yeah, <laughs> the fucking 
can we talk about the Pete Davidson cameo? At the, so oh. is this like, is this a thing now where every movie they're just going to have like a random, cause wasn't like, it was like Cardi B or somebody in the last one. Yeah, it? it was. Yeah. It was just like random fucking, you know, famous person. Even when I rewatched it, somehow I like waking slept through that scene too. Yeah. <laughs> or when she springs dumb. I, I can't remind, can't remember it for the life of me. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I think she'll be back again. Because like I think I think a big part of the next yeah. movie. Oh, everybody is Queenie's is Queenie straight. Because like Deckard Shaw is going to save Queenie, and so there's yeah, gonna be a yeah. whole whole Shaw family thing going yeah. on there. Yeah, we talked about this on like Comic Book Nation. I got voted down. People, nobody supported my theory that this they will do like the next one will be like Hobbs and Shaw 1.5. Yeah, and then they'll get like another kind of fast movie. And you get yeah. the whole. And that's how they got the Rock back. They were like, we'll let you make the next movie and you don't have to like really send, see Vin Diesel. He might be at the bottom of an ocean or some shit. <laughs> yeah. Or so we think. Um, He's like, oh, cool. Do you think anybody died at and the end of this thing? Like uh, the plane goes down. I think Jacob's. I, yeah. Okay. So you, you're still I, in the camp. Jacob is dead. Yeah. Like the pl- yeah, I think yeah, Vin Diesel being like, you killed my brother. Because they can't do some shit like that with like Paul Walker. Yeah. So they gave him a fake ass other white guy. Other white bounce off of, And they just kill him off. It's I, like we didn't talk about it earlier, but the whiplash between Jacob's character in the previous movie and like this movie is like he's like just a totally different person. Like he's all goofy. He's John shit. Cena in this. Yeah, one. He, people he, have been like, I saw a video about this. Somebody did a great video about this, <laughs> like comparing like no, like literally cutting up like who he was when playing a character in the first one <laughs> and who he is in this one, like just being John Cena. Yeah. And it's like after Peacemaker, he was just like, "Fuck it, I'm not changing." Yeah, just you just put on the other outfit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is very like Peacemakery for sure. Um, <laughs> like I mean, like I said, it was one of the best. I think it was one of the better parts of the movie. Is just like kind of their little whatever this little misadventure they were on. I do want to. One thing I did want to talk about is the uh, that opening Rome scene because like we talked about how like the the franchise doesn't have a lot of stakes, and I did think it was hilarious that the whole thing here was like, there was this terrorist attack. They were being blamed for it. And then just like in the background on TV, it was like, fortunately casualties were like really, really like shockingly low or something like that. Like they didn't want to <laughs> deal with the fact that like, you know, they had just nine 11 Rome basically. And, but they like showed all this massive destruction and then we're kind of like, but, but nah, it's like, you know, it's a, like it's a miracle. Very few people were hurt. Um, but I did like that Rome scene. Like I thought I did think it was a lot of fun. And I, I mean, it is the most memorable probably car scene in the movie for me, at least. Um, I mean the, the tank car thing was cool, but watching Dom like fucking crashing into that stupid bomb to try and like divert it and like shielding people from fire with his car. Like (laughs) I thought that I thought as ridiculous as all that shit is, it's, it's kind of what I want from these movies. Like I'm less interested, I think in, you know, that his car dropping out of an airplane and like landing on other cars and causing them to flip over. I'm like more interested in kind of that stuff. That's like the safe where he's having to like negotiate, you know, with something kind of with his car. Um, I enjoy that more than I, than I, I think it's more creative and inventive too. Cause I feel like there's been a million times now where we've seen, you know, Dom on a highway where, you know, he's asking, he's got to get someone to jump into his car. Or he's got to catch somebody or, or whatever. Um, well, that's how he knows where the line is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been developed over 10 movies. 
That's his power. He now can see the line like this shit is Demon Slayer or something. <laughs> you can just find the find the follow line and cut. Yeah. And little Brian has the power too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, by the by the time we get to twelve, the little B is going to be like the age of Paul Walker in the first movie. It's going to well, be especially uh, with this writer strike. That's what they're hoping. Yeah. yeah. Geez. Right. So uh, currently, Fast Eleven is for twenty twenty five, two years from now, and then. Who knows, right? If that right I cannot shrink. fucking believe that we have like like 2027 or something is going to be when we finally like finish this saga or whatever. They got to get on that. It's only four years. years. Yeah. I'd completely forgotten that there were four years. Two more of these. Like, yeah, you just said like in four years, like it's going to be far away. I know, but it, it kind of sounds like that. Doesn't 2027 sound like a really fucking like. Like, that sounds like no, the future. It all goes so, dude. I was listening to our one of our other podcasts, Phase Zero, and they were talking about it's a Marvel podcast that we do, and they were talking about how it might be a blessing in disguise. The writer strike, and I was making the joke that Kevin Feige's in in a hoodie undercover, <laughs> being like, "Yeah, yeah, we got to give the writers what they want because <laughs> he wants his time off." Um, but like, because it's been they've been dropping so much content, we saw how bad that got in Phase Four. Yeah when they were over promising content. it's like, when you think about the infinity saga and everything we did and how long we reported from just getting phase one off the ground to the mess of phase two, to the more solid fucking exciting plan for phase three. Yeah. Like, but you think about the multiverse saga, getting Avengers secret wars and Kang dynasty, even in like 2025 is absurd. Yeah. It's fucking nuts. Yeah, that's true. Like that's way too fast. Like all of this stuff is kind of like moving like way too fast. So it's okay to take your time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like have fast XP, like jump forward to the distant future where Dom and little Brian died. And the rest of the team has got to like go back in time and save them. Yeah, it's true. And then you can cast somebody as old man, Brian and like do that Logan shit. Yeah. And just be like, yeah, or fuck it. Get human Jackman. Just be like, yeah, old Brian. Yeah, at this point, they Watch are me drive this car. <laughs> they they have the legitimate superhero powers they can use from Hobbs and Shaw, right? I mean, Idris Elba was literally Superman, so yeah, it's black Superman. Yeah, yeah, this is. I mean, we. I mean, I think we we. I joked about this certainly way back in the day when Fast Five came out. Like they're going to go to space and do some time travel, and they've done half of that so far. So yeah, I think the only way this ends is. You know, at the beginning, like literally. <laughs> we need Roman Reigns back. Roman Reigns needs another go around. Oh yeah, the, uh, the whole Hobbs family. I like yeah. I when I walked out of the theater, I thought this was like literally there was only one more of these things. Like I was like talking to the person. I was like, yeah, you know, like the cliffhanger for the next one. Well, officially, could, there is. That was yeah, the plan, yeah. Ben. It wasn't until yeah, the red carpet premiere that Vin spilled that. So yeah, that's what. Yeah, it's pretty wild. But um, anything else you guys want to say about Fast and Furious franchise? Uh, no, but I was just looking up what you were talking about earlier when you were, about the box office. Like since you know Fast Seven, when uh, tragically you know Paul Walker passed away, that was like the, the big box office one. It, it has mm-hmm. been trending downward every single movie. At the same time, since the beginning of the franchise. The percentage of domestic versus international has been flipping, right? Where the first movie was obviously big here, and yeah. this movie is the biggest one yet. Yeah, it's 80% international so far, which is like an yeah. extreme swing from years ago. So 
that. I think Tokyo Drift really flipped it. Yeah. Oh, probably. I mean, certain, certainly. But, but even back then, like the you go to uh, Tokyo Drift was huge, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But the mainline ones after that were still like 50s, 60s. Now we're in the 80s, right? So it's yeah. not a it's not a coincidence that the premieres in Rome for this one, and all the big set pieces are international, right? So yeah, no, uh, nah, not at all. Ooh. Um, all right, you guys want to talk a Little Mermaid? <laughs> oh yeah, that. Do you guys? So how how do you guys feel about the like the Disney live action remakes? Like, are there um, any of them that you like, or any of them that you? I haven't watched any of them, and I'm not going to watch this. So. Uh, you, you know what? Just trust me when I say I'm going to go back to Reddit, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you, guys, you guys talk about Ben, I'll, I'll say this. I, I love The Jungle Book. Um, yeah. But I think the other ones I have seen, I just did not – I don't care because it's like – for me, and this is very broad to say, right? But like they, these are – these live-action adaptations of the, of the classic fairy tales that Disney has already done – a lot of them are trying to kind of go shot for shot and trying to redo the big ballads. And it's the same sort of moment to moment stuff, but without the charm and the leeway you get of doing it yeah. in classic, especially hand-drawn animation. Right. So yeah. that's what I think crushed the Lion King quality wise. It was just to, to me, scene to scene, every single thing was worse than the original. Like what, what yeah. did they do better visuals? Like, do you think people went to, Theaters because it just it was the greatest art they've ever seen. No, it's the same art style. It just they did they do fucking lions this time. It yeah. was an amazing story with heart and power and amazing acting. And like you want to redo that because you can't. You can't. Like these are movies that scored ninety eight percent back then. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So uh, for that reason alone, like I haven't seen like Cinderella or Beauty and the Beast, and I'm probably not going to see The Little Mermaid, and that's perhaps unfair, but it's not good enough for me. Yeah. Um, and I'd rather have my daughter watch the original than the new ones. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, that's what I'm kind of curious about. Like I was thinking about, you know, we're all parents. I was thinking about, is there a universe where when my kid is old enough to appreciate, you know, these movies, like a, a fairy tale movie, right? Like mm-hmm. the kind of thing that we would have watched as kids. W- is there any universe where I show her this instead of the animated film? And I guess, like, I guess I do see the value in a lot of the diversification and stuff that they've been putting into these movies. I mean, Halle sure. Berry, Halle Berry, Halle Bailey is legitimately, I mean, people are not just like saying that because they're trying to be woke or something. Like, she is very, very good in this movie as the Little Mermaid, as Ariel. And, like, you can tell, like, when they're recreating some of these, like, iconic scenes like her, you know, bursting out of the water on the, you know, on the rock or whatever. Right. Like that's probably one of the most iconic images from this movie. I think it was like on the poster for the animated films, but like there's like the way that she does that, that scene and she like, you know, bursts out of the water and stuff. It's like, she's kind of crawling up this rock and she's singing and there's like a a kind of a frenetic energy and like, like, um, like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like kind of a, attention that she's like releasing as well when she it's like really really good like it feels like a very like true like representation of like the emotions that that character would be feeling if she was like singing her fucking heart out you know about like mm-hmm. wanting to be you know wanting her life to be different and stuff like that and so like that i like genuinely appreciate it and so there is a part of me that like i do 
think it's, you know, as kind of like, just like a liberal dude, like, I think it is cool that like, you know, the little mermaid is that film is filled with like a diverse cast and stuff. And it's not just like a bunch of white people running around and that, that's probably the only thing that kind of like looking back to the cartoon that I'm sort of like, or the animated film that I'm kind of like, man, you know, like, I don't know, like I would be, I would prefer to live in a world where my daughter's Ariel is surrounded, you know, is like a diverse person and also like surrounded by diverse people. So like, I, I appreciate that part of it, but like outside of her performance, there's very little that I can say positive about the film. And in terms of comparing it to the original, I guess if like the original did not exist, I would be like, Oh, this is a really great film. But knowing that the original exists and it does have that kind of like charm as well as its ability to get away with things because it's an animated, you know, it's an animated film from 20 years ago, like more than 20 years ago, we're getting so old, but like, (laughs) like I, there is, you know, there is a lot, to that that I think makes it more in line with the kind of thing that I would like be inclined to like want my child to grow up with. Like, I don't know if the solution to this was like in every case was to like remake these movies in live action. It might've been to like remake them, you know, with like updated animation or something. I mean, I know that's probably controversial, but I just like, I don't know that these things all work the same way jungle book did jungle book works because it's all CGI characters and one kid. I think that yeah, kind of but, works differently than fucking. It's, it's weird because Jungle Book worked where Lion King didn't, and it's I don't know why yeah, that true. is necessarily yeah, the true. case. Yeah. I think something about maybe the original Jungle Book wasn't as for me wasn't as special as like the original Lion King was. Like you know, what yeah. I mean? the same with Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast was kind of like a perfect movie, right? So yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. For, for me, the solution is like you watch them in pairs. You watch the original, and then in this is not for every movie ever. This is like the big, 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 broad appeal, like Disney movies I'm talking about here. But, yeah. you know, watch the original so you appreciate it. And that's how we've been kind of doing it as she watches more movies and then watch the, watch the new one. And um, especially these big budget modern uh, adaptations. The problem is these are not like a remake or a new take or a new adapt. You know what I mean? It's, it's literally just adapting the thing that's yeah. already there on Disney+. Plus. Um, yeah. And saying, here, come see it again. But, you know, it's real. So we had to, like, make all these shortcuts and this and that in some cases. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah. I'd almost rather them – well, the, the real answer is, like, stop doing this. Just make a new movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, as much as I didn't love it, like, I appreciated them doing, like, when Alice in Wonderland 1 came out. He made a billion dollars, right? It wasn't just a shot-for-shot shot remake of something. It was something – it was a very different take. It was new, yeah. right? The sequel was terrible and unwatchable. But yeah, um, yeah that was better than just remaking or, you know, doing taking an animated film and just flipping it into live action. And yeah. obviously that's extreme oversimplification of the filmmaking process. But in essence, the product they're offering is that to consumers. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, I just don't have any excitement for these things. And I'll say this too, when it comes to little mermaid, I think what killed it for me is when they play like a, um, uh, what's her face? Um, Ursula um, McCarthy. What's her, what's her McCarthy. name? Yeah. Yeah. McCarthy, she, yeah. She has her big, her big ballad, which is like a, her take on the original song or whatever. Yeah. Um, they played that at CinemaCon. Unfortunate souls. Yeah. It was just a, yeah, that's it. Exactly. And it just, it didn't play. It didn't play for me or the audience. And I was, it was just kind of, uh, it was like, Oh, yeah. this is, 
I don't know. It didn't have the heart and charm and emotion that I thought it was the first one. It didn't yeah. feel special. I don't know. There's, Parson, sorry? No, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say part of it might also be a somewhat of a recency bias. I feel like within the last year I've seen the original Little Mermaid with, with my daughter. So it just feels too present perhaps. But yeah. still, it just didn't feel like great cinema. Yeah, I mean, I would uh, like – I would argue that Melissa McCarthy is probably like one of the worst parts of the movie in a lot of ways. And not, you know, not because it's like offensive or anything. I mean, you know, it's just kind of like, I don't know. I mean, they got her to play Ursula and she kind of played Ursula and she's sort of doing a riff on, you know, like how the character was portrayed in the original movie. And, but it's like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it does fall kind of flat in my opinion. And it, it doesn't, like she's kind of doing this like vaudeville thing and it, yeah, it just does it. It just kind of, I don't know. At the same time, she's an octopus like floating around, you know, in CGI water. Like it's that thing where seeing it in live action does kind of make you like, it sort of breaks whatever that illusion is that worked in animation. So when, you know, she's sort of like laying over like a rock and, you know, kind of like being all cabaret and stuff. It sounds it just, like you're describing kind of a valley where things feel <laughs> not quite. <laughs> yeah, it's an uncanny valley, maybe. Yeah, but it, it is sort of weird because, I mean, like, whereas like Ariel, like, largely looks pretty realistic as a mermaid, like, like Ursula sort of is just like Melissa McCarthy kind of floating around except with like tentacles. It doesn't it. Like, I don't, I mean, she's stuck in that fucking cave from the original movie and stuff too. So there's a limit to what they can, they can sort of do with her, but it is, it is just very, it is just very weird. And like Eric, um, like, I don't know what, you know, Jonah Howard King has been in before this. I'm not like, I don't think we've seen him in a lot of stuff that I, I guess he was, I'm looking now he's in like little women and world on fire and stuff, but like he is like I would straight up say he was miscast in a lot of ways. Like he, he is coming. I was talking about soap operas earlier with fast X. He acts like he is in a soap opera and there's a scene where he gets a song that wasn't in the original movie where he's singing on the side of like this cliff kind of like looking out of the water. And I mean, he is acting like he's in a Broadway show the way that he's kind of like singing and like throwing his body around and stuff. And it's, you know, they're trying to like capture the passion that these people have, but like, Halle Bailey makes that convincing and he looks like a dude who's like doing Broadway, but like in a movie where no one else is doing Broadway kind of, it's, it's just, it's very weird. Yeah. Like I was quite, I just was quite surprised by how uneven all of it was. And you know, at the end of it, you dude, you'd fucking love the, once you, uh, once this thing is available on like Disney plus or something, Rob, you have to load up the final battle, like between Ursula and them. Because it is like a God of War, like boss fight. That's what it like original God of War boss fights where you were like, you know, tiny and like you had to fight the fucking, you know, like uh, I can't, you know, like some giant monster or something like that. Like she looks, she basically grows into this giant version of Ursula and she's like in the ocean. And so she kind of like emerges out of the ocean and then, you know, like they kind of have to figure out a way to like kill her. And it was funny because I saw this and Fast X like back to back. So I saw Fast X and then like the next day I saw this and spoilers for the Little Mermaid 2023. But the way she's killed is <laughs> fucking Ariel gets on a boat 
like one of these like wrecked ships that is at the bottom of the sea gets like pulled up by Ursula, you know, kind of creating this big whirlwind or whirlpool in the ocean. And like Ariel climbs onto this boat and and like grabs the mast and like, like spins the wheel towards Ursula and impales her with the mast of the ship or whatever. Now I've been half asleep, but I'm pretty sure every single thing you describe is again, like Rob said, like a, a shot by shot recreation of the original. Is that, pretty sure is that how she dies in the I, original? Yes. I watched the original. Yeah. I watched the original an insane amount of times as a kid. Cause my, had female I could not remember that being like that, like this yeah, video game boss sure. fight thing at the end. They don't show you. Oh, no. She becomes a giant thing. She becomes a kaiju. She rises up out of the out of the ocean. And there's the whirlpools. And I'm pretty sure that's how it goes is that uh, Ariel. It's either Ariel or Eric pilots the ship and, and impales her. They don't show you impaling. Of course, it's off Maybe screen. Maybe that's why I don't remember it. I, like, I honestly could not remember how that movie ends. Um, but, oh, I will say at least, I guess if that is the case and, you know, I'm assuming you're correct on that. I, I'm sure you are. I'm slowly trying to look it up. But like I said, I was, I was napping. I mean, I like, Uh, I'm willing to bet you're, you're correct about that. But like, if that is how it ends, it's a good example of how something works a lot better in animation than it. Cause yeah. Uh, enrage Ursula grows to a, yeah. Again, phone control of the entire ocean. Yeah, no, it's Eric who does it, and it's Eric who does it in the animated. Yeah. You are right. He, yeah. he steers the ship. Yeah. The so in this one, it's 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 Ariel that does it, I guess. But but yeah, I mean, it like it. I don't know. It struck. It really struck me, kind of just how ridiculous it was seeing it in live action. Then, um, I had that. Yeah, I mean, I had not remembered that. That's how that thing ended. But <laughs> uh, this whole thing, man. So so. <laughs> That goes to show. Look, man, I tell you what, like when it comes to these type of Disney releases, I'd much rather get another Zootopia or Moana yes, or Frozen, yeah. right? Something new and different. That also, all billion dollar successes with incredible reviews. Now, those are animated films, but on the on the live action Disney side, they're spending two hundred million to make this thing. Like, I'd much rather yeah. than just make use that money and make two new things that are different. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, I understand the ROI perspective. It's, it's a combination of like, oh, it's Little Mermaid merch, easy win. Yeah. It's more fuel for the theme parks and all the previously already invested in assets that are Little Mermaid related, right? They can update yeah. it all, blah, blah, blah. But gosh, from a consumer standpoint, it's so utterly boring. But yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's weird, man. It was just like, it's a very weird movie. Cause I mean, there's some things that are great, like Scuttle, like Aquafina Scuttle is like really fun. Um, I, Sebastian is really great in this, which is kind of funny because like, you know, in the original movie, it's sort of like, he was kind of an, the annoying bullshit, you know, like, like the Lumiere of beauty and the beast, right. He's the one that's just complaining all the time. And like, th- I mean, flounder basically does not exist in this movie, which, you know, in the cartoon, like flounder was like her, like, like prevalent all the time. Like he was everywhere. Like he's barely in this movie. It's it's interesting, like the way they've shifted some things around. But like, there were things that worked. There are things that are better. But it isn't Ursula, and it isn't <laughs> it isn't Prince Eric. And as a result, like you know, two out of your three main characters are sort of weird. It's also Javier Bardem as King Triton is also quite weird because he's acting the majority of the time. He's act, he's like talking to Sebastian, and like you can tell, like you know, obviously he's not like he's not talking to like something that's there. And so, like, 
there's again kind of an uncanny valley thing there where he's like this person who's talking underwater without and talking underwater like normally you know because they there's no explanation for how they talk underwater and which you know that's from the original everything like that but it's even again more prevalent because he's talking to like this little cgi character that doesn't look like it's really there either so it's very it's very weird man it's it's weird i wish they i kind of really wish they would stop doing these i'm curious like how moana is gonna go because you know it's i guess it's like we don't have all these like super fond memories or something of Moana because it basically only came out like five years ago. So recent. Yeah. But another example of our man, the rock trying to get some of that uh, hierarchy of power money back. So yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. I mean, thank you for bearing with me. I just had to fucking get this, uh, get this up. Interestingly enough, like the people that are the other daughters of Triton, like the mermaid sisters and stuff in this are like, they're all like multicultural, which may have been the case in the original movie too. I can't remember, but like one of them is the chick from Bridgerton. Like there's a bunch of famous people in it, like Simone Ashley, the chick from, that was the you know kind of star of the last season of Bridgerton. There was like, um, there was another one that was like a really famous person. I forget who it was, but um, sure. I mean, they're only there for the very beginning, right? Pretty much. Yeah. So. I mean, they, they're in like half a shot. Like literally, like literally, they're only there for like yeah, it's good, ten good, seconds. Good or chance something. to get some big cameos in. Yeah, it's uh Anyway, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Go take your kids to see this, I guess. <laughs> yeah, pass. Um, cool. Well, I guess I can kind of do it for this week. Uh, what is it? There's nothing opening. Oh well, Little Mermaid's opening this week. Next week is Spider Verse. Is that right? Oh, there we go. Fuck yeah. Yeah, and then we have. Yeah, summer starts. Yeah. Oh, this Transformers. Flash. Yeah. yeah, it goes from here, baby. Yeah, yeah. got some good stuff yeah, coming up for be, sure. It's gonna be real. Yeah, so that's exciting. Um, I mean, those are three movies that I, I'm sure we'll have a good time talking about. Transformer reviews kind of coming out semi-positive. First group of people to see it, huh? That's good. It's like Frosty and people like that who yeah. are tend to be more positive. But even Jermaine's positive, which is that's like, just, you know. yeah, <laughs> that's a real litmus <laughs> test for sure. Yeah. Um. All right, well, cool. We can, uh, I guess, want to do your, uh, where can people find you on the internet? I am Ben Kendrick. Um, You can find me at Ben Kendrick, B-N-K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K. On all the socials, you can find me uh, over at Static Media. We run Slash Film and and Looper and a bunch of other sites. Mr. Rob Keys? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Rob underscore Keys, K-E-Y-E-S. And for all... All the movies we just mentioned, except The Flash, we've already got interviews coming up for, and Mission Impossible, so that must be coming up right after that bunch, pretty quick too. So yeah. uh, it is going to be a big summer here, which is awesome. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Kofi Outlaw? Your favorite blogger's favorite blogger. You can find me. Man, you know where you can find me, bro. <laughs> just, I'm outside. I'm never inside. I'm just keeping keeping this thing on the tracks, you know? Before these kids go off the rails with their with their film twitterings. <laughs> so you can find me wherever you find, you know, the action. Okay. But just like the dead guy in Fast X, you can't see me. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that'll do it for this week's episode of Podcast X. 
Um, if you haven't given us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform, please do that. You know, we try not to bug you guys about that too much, but it does help us spread word about the show. You know, algorithms are everything these days. And the more reviews that we get, um, you know, if you think, if you think we're deserving of a five star, you appreciate these fucking random tandem tangents that we go on. Uh, yeah. Give us a, give us a five star rating. That'll do it. We will see you guys next week for into the spider verse. <laughs> <laughs>